Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolness. Coming up, it's a playoff week. Folks, it's playoff Eagles football. Eagles, Buccaneers, Monday Night Football, wild card round. Of course, the Eagles at 10-1. and one, We did not expect to be going on the road for a wild card matchup here uh, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but that is what we've got. And we're going to keep our eye on the enemy by talking to James Yarcho. He's the deputy editor of Bucks Nation and host of the podcast Locked on Bucks. We'll get his thoughts on what's been going on in Tampa since these two teams last met back in week three in which the Eagles had a dominating win over this very same squad. So all that coming up here on this edition of Eye on the Enemy. But before we get into the game, just a, a, a real, real, real quick history of these two teams in the postseason. And they have played each other an inordinate amount of times, especially over the last 20 years or so in the postseason, and specifically in the wild card round. In 1979, that was the first time these two teams met. The Buccaneers beat the Eagles for their first ever playoff win. It was in the D- NFC Divisional Round, 24-17. to uh, The Eagles scored late in that game to make it look a little bit closer than it was, but the Buccaneers, up until that game, up until that season, had been the laughingstock of the NFL. And Dick Vermeil's Eagles... Uh, Grace, and that was listen. That was the Eagles bursting onto the scene as well. That was the Eagles' first playoff season under Dick Vermeil. Uh, they were they were getting their feet wet a little bit, and uh, just were not quite ready for quote unquote prime time. As uh, the Bucks and Doug Williams took care of the Eagles, twenty four to seventeen uh, in two thousand. Following the two thousand season, uh, the Eagles crushed the Bucks at the Vet in the wild card round, twenty one to three. The following year, they had uh, the exact same matchup and the exact same story took place. An even bigger defeat, 31-9, to the Birds smashing the Bucks at Veterans Stadium in the wildcard round, which made what happened after the 2002 season all that much harder to take. A third straight year hosting Tampa at Veterans Stadium in the NFC Championship game, a trip to the Super Bowl on the line, and of course, that... In my, that, I, I was at that game, and is st- that is still the most painful, I think the most painful Philadelphia sports loss of my entire life. Uh, the Eagles falling apart in that one with the with the late pick six from Rondé Barber. The Eagles losing twenty seven to ten as the as Donovan McNabb was trying to make one last charge to turn a um, a, a twenty to ten uh, game into a twenty to seventeen game, and then you never know what can happen. It fell apart. Rondé Barber, the Eagles lose 27-10 to the Buccaneers. And then in 2021, Jalen Hurts in his first playoff appearance, along with Nick Sirianni, the Eagles got blitzed into oblivion in that game by the Tampa D, and Tom Brady had his way with the Eagles defense on their way to his last Super Bowl victory, beating the Eagles 31-15, to again, in a game that was not as close as the score indicates. So the Eagles, those two wins in 2000 and 2001. Since then, uh, the Buccaneers have won uh, two straight against the Eagles, and they will look to make it three in a row against the Birds. The Eagles will try and uh, even things up 3-3 three to three in terms of playoff appearances against the Buccaneers with a win on Monday night. All right, well, I know a lot of you Eagles fans out there are not very confident in the Birds coming into Tampa for this wildcard matchup on Monday night against the Bucks, It does not have the juice that one would normally expect before an Eagles playoff game. Nevertheless, the offseason, the postseason tournament has begun and a chance at a second straight Super Bowl appearance is in the offing. But first, the Eagles have to go to a team they really enjoy playing in the wildcard round, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And joining me to help break this game down is James Yarcho, deputy editor of Bucks Nation. He's also the host of the Locked on Bucks podcast. James, welcome to Eye on the Enemy. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Good, good. So first, uh, let's talk injuries. Uh, That's always a big thing. Uh, On the Eagles side, uh, on Thursday, Jalen Hurts didn't practice because he says he hasn't been able to throw a football yet, which is slightly concerning ahead of a playoff game that your quarterback's not able to throw a football, or at least he hasn't thrown a football yet. Uh, Hopefully, he eventually does that at some point over the course of the weekend. But uh, some injuries on the Eagles side. Still waiting to hear about A.J. Brown, Reed Blankenship. They didn't practice on Thursday. We're hopeful that from the Eagles side that they're going to be ready to go. On the Buck side, obviously, your quarterback is banged up, and he didn't practice on Thursday either. As we're recording this here late Friday morning, what is your understanding on Baker Mayfield's health uh, coming into this game? Uh, unless he has to have his 
foot amputated above the ankle, Baker's going to play. Like that's just how <laughs> that's just how Baker Mayfield is, right? This is an ankle injury that he suffered in week 4 uh, of the NFL season against the New Orleans Saints. He re-aggravated it against the Indianapolis Colts Thanksgiving weekend. And then it got re-aggravated again last week against the Carolina Panthers. And and it absolutely could be a detriment. If he can't plant and he can't drive the ball with that right ankle injury, it could be a long day for the Bucks offense. But, you know, this is a guy that, you know, he's he's kind of the embodiment of Brett Favre, right? He will be bruised, battered, bloodied, broken, and still go out on that football field and play if he feels he can help the team win. So I, I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that Baker Mayfield will be under center Monday night. All right. There were two other did not participate in Thursday's practices. Uh, linebacker KJ Britt and offensive tackle Tristan Wirfs. Uh, what is the status of those two guys? Uh, I mean, Tristan, I also believe, is going to play. You know, like you said, he's dealing with an illness. We have that kind of that flu bug going around. Uh, so I don't think there's really anything concerning there. K.J. Britt did miss last week with an injury, and he's a guy that has stepped in and, and played big for the Buccaneers this year in the absence of Devin White when he missed a few weeks with injury. So that one, I'm a little more concerned about him not being available and, and be part of the rotation. But uh, I, I do believe that Tristan will, will play barring any really setbacks or, or unforeseen circumstances stemming from that illness. So it, it appears as though the Buccaneers are rel- relatively healthy entering this wild card round, correct? Yeah. Yeah. For, for the most part, out, outside of, you know, Baker and then, you know, just being banged up throughout the season. But for the most part, they're, you know, their starters are all healthy and, and raring to go. Now, talk a little bit about Baker Mayfield because he had his best season as a pro here in Tampa, a career high 4,044 passing yards, 64.3% completion percentage was also a career high, uh, 28 touchdowns against 10 interceptions. So a lot of interceptions, but, you know, not too bad. And certainly Jalen Hurts eclipsed that number this year. So um, took better care of the football than, than Jalen Hurts did. And the sense that I see about Baker Mayfield is that he may have – kind of ensconced himself at least for next year as the starting quarterback and 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 maybe a little bit further down the line after that how would you grade his season uh honestly i would give if i was going to give him like a letter grade i i would give him a solid b plus uh i think he exceeded a lot of the expectations the bucks fans had of him coming into this year just because the 2022 season was such a roller coaster for him he gets he gets traded to the panthers late in the process uh, you know, deals with basically trying to become the captain of an already fiery sinking ship and mm. then gets gets sent off to the Rams where, you know, the Rams wanted him back, but he wanted the opportunity to be a starter. And that's what he found in Tampa. And you take a look around the NFL and the money that, that Baker Mayfield got compared to that of Derek Carr or Jimmy Garoppolo. And it's like the Bucks return on investment here is massive he and his wife absolutely love tampa the the players gravitated towards baker in a big way he's the guy that in the lunchroom he will bounce around and sit with every different position group all over the place just to be you know the guy on the team that really endears himself to all of his teammates and you know going from tom brady to to baker mayfield a lot of people thought that there was going to be you know a very serious fall off but you take a look back at that 2022 season with tom brady and byron leftwich as the offensive coordinator calling the shots and it was a disaster you know this year's offense with baker has outperformed last year's offense and you know, I think Baker has has really played himself into another contract with Tampa. I think they're going to make it work. Both sides are interested. Both sides want this to continue. But there are other teams in the NFL looking for a quarterback, and they saw what Baker did this year. They might be willing and able to throw more money at him than what Tampa can. So it's, it's going to be an interesting dynamic to see if they're able to lock him up before he's able to start speaking to other teams in that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, legal tampering or, or right. early negotiation period. Like, full disclosure, I thought the Bucks were going to be awful this year, and the main reason mm-hmm. for that was I thought Baker Mayfield. I, I've never been a fan of his. I've always thought he was a b- below-league average quarterback, and he surprised me with his play this year, and that certainly is one of the reasons why uh, Tampa finished 9-8 and eight and on top of the NFC South. Now, I w- looking at the, the game last week against the Panthers, the 9 nothing win, uh, not overly impressive against the worst team in the NFL with the division title 
on the line. How did they only beat the Panthers 9-0 last week, and how close were they to actually losing that game? I don't think they were really close to losing the game. Uh, you had Antoine Winfield Jr. making an incredible play to save a touchdown uh, by DJ Chark, but you, you take a look back at that game, and I think the Panthers – one of the things that gets overlooked about the Panthers by people that aren't really paying attention to the NFC South. And let's be honest, outside of the NFC South, nobody's paying attention to that yeah. division because it's True. not a great one. Um, the Panthers have a really good defense. Uh, the problem is all season long, they've been put in positions to fail. You know, you have uh, Bryce Young turning the football over on, on short fields. You have consistent three and outs, and, and that defense gets worn out after a while. But they have some serious talent on the defensive side of the ball, and, and it was a, a combination of things where the play calling wasn't great. You know, Dave Canales, the rookie offensive coordinator for the Bucks, had a almost a flawless month where the Bucks beat the Panthers and the Falcons and the Packers on the road and the Jaguars. It trounced the Jaguars. And then it, it kind of regressed against the Saints and regressed a little bit uh, against the Panthers. But you you were also dealing with that injury by Baker Mayfield, right? That ankle. And, and so he was kind of limited in what he was able to do. Ultimately, what the Bucks did was they just wanted to run out the clock. They had the lead. Their defense was on absolute fire. And they just wanted to, you know, seal the win and and move on to the playoffs, regroup, get the rest for Baker, try to get that ankle as healthy as possible. So um, there really wasn't any point in that game against the Panthers where it was seriously in doubt after mm -hmm. they got a three to nothing lead and, and then extended it to six to nothing. It almost felt insurmountable because of how bad the Panthers offense is and how well the Bucks defense was playing. And, and the Eagles' defense has not offered any resistance whatsoever to some some pretty lousy offenses over these last few weeks. And and if you look at the tape, and I'm sure as you have spoken to uh, to, to other folks uh, covering this game on the Eagles' side of things, they've painted you a very bleak picture, especially defensively, <laughs> of what's been going on out there. I mean, since the, the things were not good under Sean Desai, they were last in third down defense. They were like second to last in, in red zone defense. Um, they had their good moments, but it was also a very inconsistent defense, especially in these certain clutch situations. But moving over to Matt Patricia, it just does not appear like anyone has ever played football before. It, I, and I wish I could, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Like you, you see guys running around, heads on a swivel, trying to figure out where they're supposed to be as the ball is snapped. Guys don't have their mouthpieces in their mouths as the balls are being snapped. You have three guys chasing after one guy who goes in motion. People just not understanding what their assignments are. It's as if high school coaches were hired in the middle of the season to take over the Eagles defense, and this is what you're getting. I, it's, it's bizarre to me what's been going on with the, an Eagles defense that wasn't great under Sean Desai that has become, I think, this is the worst defense in the NFL right now. The things that are going on with Eagles defense, a lot of it's fixable if the coaching figures out how to get the message through to the players here. But now you've got Mike Evans and Chris Godwin coming into this matchup, both 1,000-yard receivers. Darius Slay will be back, and that's a good thing. But he's missed a month after going through knee surgery, so I'm not sure exactly what he's going to look like. James Bradbury has clearly lost a step, and Avante Maddox has been back for a couple of weeks in the slot. But he has been woeful since he came back. It just appears as though he came back too early. I would think, James, that this would be a matchup in Tampa's favor in a big, big way. You look at the names on the sheets, it looks pretty even. Do you think the Tampa offense, uh, offensive game plan will be for Baker to put the ball up a bunch early and try and utilize these two 1,000-yard receivers? Or do you think they're going to do what the Giants and the Cardinals have done these last two weeks, and that's really emphasize the running game early on an Eagles team that's been very susceptible to the run? I think what we're looking at from the Buccaneers offense is I, I've called it this a couple of times on on Locked on Bucks. It needs to be death by a thousand paper cuts. That's the approach that they have to have. The the interior protection by the Buccaneers offensive line over the last two weeks has been very, very bad. And there aren't really guys on on the Saints or the Panthers that are as good as those on the Eagles for the most part, up until this this recent slump mm -hmm. in getting that pressure through the interior. So that's getting to Baker. That's shutting down run lanes before they even open. But one of the things that made the Bucs so successful over that, that four-game win streak that they had 
was adopting that run through the air philosophy where it was these quick little dump offs to Rashad White and allowing him to get in space and make plays with his legs. And that's the approach they have to have. If they're going to run the ball, they need to do it where they've been successful. And that's bouncing it to the outside. More often than not, that's to the side of Tristan Wirfs and Aaron Stinney over on the left. But bouncing it out to the right side uh, over by Luke Gedeke, that has worked as well. Running it up the middle has been the problem. But something that that I've noticed over the last couple of weeks is the tendency for the Eagles to leave a lot of space mm-hmm. close to the line of scrimmage. So if yep. you're able to get Rashad the ball on a little one or two yard dump off, then he's going to have room to work and be able to make plays through the second and even into the third levels of the defense. It also gets the ball out of Baker's hands much, much faster. He's not having to plant and really drive off of that ankle very often. He's not going to be under pressure uh, nearly as as quickly. And and that's the approach they need to have. And in doing that, the Bucs would be able to put together these 9, 10, 11, 12 play drives that are going to chew up six or seven minutes. And it's going to wear out the Eagles defense. It's going to keep the Bucs defense fresh and down the line into the second half, the third quarter, early fourth quarter, that's going to start to open up things down the field for Mike Evans, for Chris Godwin, for Trey Palmer, for Kate Otten up the seam, who has really emerged as a as a pass catching threat this year in his second year as as a tight end. So the the offense has to go through Rashad White and and it has to happen very quickly and it has to happen through the passing game to open up those outside runs and to open up the deep shots to Evans and Godwin. Yeah, and you're talking about the deep shots to Evans and Godwin, but in the playoffs a couple of years ago uh, when when the Patriots and Tom Brady beat them, uh, they used Mike Evans in the slot quite a bit in that game. Can you see a return to that? I mean, that's they, the Cowboys burned the Eagles a lot with CeeDee Lamb in the slot. You saw the 49ers do the same thing with uh, Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk. Um, I mean, Mike Evans is is... Maybe he's not quite at that tier, but he's real close to it if he's not and can do a lot of damage in the slot against uh, these Eagles linebackers and safeties. And hey, let's be honest, against Darius Slay, who they're dropping into coverage in, in, in zones, I wouldn't be surprised if Matt Patricia in his galaxy brain is looking at these matchups thinking himself, oh, I got to get me some Darius Slay on Mike Evans in the slot. That's the matchup that I want. Uh, the the Bucks and, and Dave Canales have done a really good job uh, as this offense has evolved of moving Mike and, and Chris around quite a bit. A lot early in the season, they were always on the same side of the field and they you know the defense was able to hyper focus on that side and it's like all right you you've put your two best guys over here. Go ahead and beat us with Trey Palmer with Raheem Jarrett, uh, you know with David Moore and, and Devin Tompkins and the Bucks couldn't do it. So there's been plenty of situations now where where Chris Godwin in his you know second half surge uh, over the course of the the latter half of the season has returned back to that slot role and there's still plenty of times where Mike Evans is in the slot as well. I think the big difference between this game and and when the Bucks played the Eagles in the wild card round 2 years ago is the guy calling the shots on offense, right? Mm-hmm. Bruce Arians, he always wanted to go deep all the time. He wanted to score on every play. He wanted to score at halftime if it was legal. Canales <laughs> is a, a little more conservative than than Bruce Arians. I, it, honestly, who's not? But he's done a really good job of scheming Chris Godwin open, especially on those money downs, but also starting to utilize Mike Evans out of that slot position Evans just isn't quite as good out of that slot role as Chris Godwin is. And and we've seen that over the course of the year. Mike Evans is a guy that can beat you with any route on the route tree. He's not he's not just a deep threat. He's not just a slant guy. He's not just an out guy. He could beat you in in any ways imaginable. The, The issue has always been, or at least this season, has been the consistency in which Baker Mayfield has been able to get him the ball. So offensively, has anything changed from week three? I mean, obviously the Eagles beat the Buccaneers 25 to 11. That's been their most recent matchup. It was a dom- maybe the Eagles' most dominant performance of the season, uh, offensively and defensively, just kind of suffocating the, the Tampa Bay offense uh, and, and really not letting them get up off the ground. Has any, what's changed between week three and now on the Tampa side? Obviously, I think there's a lot that's changed on the Eagles side, but what are the what are the Buccaneers doing better right now than they were doing when these teams matched up in week three? It's the the utilization of Chris Godwin, Kate Otten, and Rashad White. Uh, you know, Chris Godwin was was not a big factor 
early in the year. He wasn't getting a lot of targets, and lately he's been he's been the guy, especially on those money downs. You know, those third downs, those fourth downs, those gotta have it. And Baker's talked about it when when they have to have you know seven yards. He's looking to Chris Godwin. That's his guy. He knows he can trust him. He knows he can rely on him. And he knows that that Chris is going to get open. And then, again, the the emergence of Rashad White in both the passing game and the running game. Over a six-week stretch, the Buccaneers were a top-10 rushing team. It, they finished 31st in the NFL because they couldn't overcome how bad the run game was early in the season. But you know, they... They had season-high rushing totals four consecutive weeks, uh, and and they've really been able to get Rashad White going, and a lot of that goes back to what I mentioned earlier in utilizing him in the, the short passing game, the running through the air that Aaron Rodgers and the Packers made so successful, and that started to open things up in the run game. But if if Rashad can't run the ball, there's nobody else that can either. Chase Edmonds hasn't been effective in the run game. Keyshawn Vaughn is gone. Sean Tucker, the undrafted rookie, isn't exactly who they thought he was. So the Bucks really operate with just two running backs. So they they rely heavily on Rashad. They rely heavily on Chris Godwin. And then, again, Kate Otten emerging as a legitimate threat. He's another guy that Baker tends to look to a lot on third downs, on, mm-hmm. on third and six, third and seven. Kate Otten gets to the sticks, turns around, uses that big body, and and is able to make some really great catches. So those are our facets of the Bucks' offense that the Eagles really didn't see earlier in the year that have made the Bucks as successful as they were down the stretch and, and helped them win a third straight division. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear all that. Uh, that's really good news. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's flip the let's flip the field now, and let's talk a little bit uh, Eagles offense offense against the Buccaneers defense. And while the defense for the Eagles has been abysmal and unredeemable over the last uh, month and a half or so, the offense has at times performed very well, and at other times not played well at all. They really struggled against Seattle. Now, that was a game in which uh, Jalen Hurts was dealing with a a severe illness and probably shouldn't have been playing in the first place. Uh, The offense did okay against the Giants at home. They played very well against the Cardinals in that loss. And then last week was a weird week for the Eagles against the Giants. You know, they held out some of their starters, but they still had some of their other starters in. But you could just tell the players went out on the field and didn't care. Like, they just, they did not, they suited up, but they, they were there in body, but not necessarily spirit. And that's on them. That's, that's, and that's, a, to me, a bad sign because there was still something to play for. You either, you either say, we're punting this game, it's a bye week for us, or you go all in and you try to win that game. And at the end of the day, Jalen Hurts injures his finger, dislocates his finger, and it's, Totally up in the air right now whether or not he's going to be effective throwing the football. He hasn't been the same as a runner this year. Uh, you've got uh, A.J. Brown. We're not sure if he's going to play. He got his ankle rolled up or his knee rolled up on on a, on a play in the early in the game against the Giants. And Devontae Smith will be back, but he hurt his ankle against the Cardinals. And so there are a lot of question marks with this Eagles offense right now. The big question for Eagles fans is, can they repeat the rushing performance that they had in week three? DeAndre Swift was was uh, the big man back in, in week three against Tampa. Uh, he had a uh, 16 carries, 130 yards against the Bucks, And that was really what was the driving force, especially late in the game. The Eagles went on a long nine-minute drive to salt the game away. We haven't seen them do that at the end of the season here when they've had, when they've had opportunities. So when you look at the Eagles' offensive line against what the Bucks are going to try to do defensively, What's the best way for the Eagles to to go ahead and attack this Buccaneers defense? Will it be trying to get a repeat performance out of DeAndre Swift? Or do you anticipate the Eagles trying to utilize their weapons outside, assuming that they have A.J. Brown and Jalen Hurts healthy and ready to go in this one? I I think it's very possible for them to repeat their rushing performance. This this Buccaneers defense, although they, they pitched the shutout and they played well against Carolina, still gave up over 130 rushing yards to Carolina last week. They gave up over 100 rushing yards the first time against Carolina um, with with just the performance of Chuba Hubbard. He was he and, and DeAndre Swift were the only two running backs to go for over 100 yards against the Buccaneers this season. And you you take a look back at that performance by Swift and if they can get him going, obviously that's going to open things up for A.J. Brown if he plays. And of course, DeAndre Swift and, and Quez Watkins and um you know the the pass catchers but if if they can get swift going it's it's going to cause problems 
for for the Buccaneers defense. There's no doubt about it. And and one of the other big shortcomings that they have is defending against the tight end. They had Jawan Johnson of the Saints have a career day against them two weeks ago. Career high in receptions, career high in yards, got in the end zone. They had no answer whatsoever for Jawan Johnson. So the the way to beat the Buccaneers is you you use your tight end, which the Eagles have a pretty darn good one if if you ask Yeah, and they me. don't use him nearly enough. It's he gets he gets forgotten. And I don't know if that's a Hertz thing or if that's a Brian Johnson thing or a Sirianni thing. I think sometimes Hertz gets so locked into his two wide receivers. Dallas Goddard could absolutely be a thousand yard receiver in this offense, and they just don't get the tight end the ball enough. Yeah, it's it's certainly I mean it's not a problem for for the Bucks or or Bucks fans if he doesn't get used. <laughs> uh but going yeah. up against even second tier tight ends and third tier tight ends uh you know seem to have a lot of success and then passing the ball to the running backs as as much as bucks fans like devin white and and all the hype and excitement that he brings and the the get live 45 and and doing his rodeo sack dance and all that the dude cannot cover running backs if if you're gonna beat the bucks you target the tight end and you run your running back on wheel routes all day long if he's matched up against Devin White. If he's matched up against Levante, that's a different story. But if you get your your running back or you get somebody out of the backfield one-on-one with Devin White, you target that guy and you are going to move the sticks up and down the field. This You, you go back to the first meeting against the Bucks. The Buccaneers did not have Kalijah Cansey in that game. They did not utilize Yaya Diaby, who has come on very strong to the point that he's probably in consideration for rookie defensive player of the year, led all rookies in sacks, led all rookies in tackles for loss, and he only played about half the season. Uh, So he's been absolutely incredible. And then having Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean both healthy for only, I believe this is the third time this season that the two of them will both start a game. Um, so the, the defense has gotten healthy at the right time. It's just a matter of if, if the Eagles are actually going to scheme against what works so well against the Bucs, it's, it's the tight end. It's, it's the running backs catching passes. And then, uh, still, even with the health, even with all of these guys back, they still have been somewhat susceptible in the run game. So I would expect the Eagles to to try and ground and pound and establish that early on before starting to hit them with some you know, intermediate to deep routes. So as we come into this here um, and, and we look at uh, what the Eagles are, are, are going to try and accomplish on, on offense against this Bucks defense, where, where is the strength of the Bucks defense here? Like if there's something the Eagles should stay away from or avoid doing? Uh, it's going to be really hard to do this, but you have to scheme everything away from Antoine Winfield Jr. And that guy is all over the place. But the the Eagles need to avoid him at all costs. He he is the best safety in the NFL in terms of coverage grade, in terms of uh, run defense grade. He is doing things that we haven't seen out of a defensive back in over 25 years. With the forced fumbles, the sacks, uh, he has, I believe it was seven passes defensed. He's got three interceptions, um, has a, a safety on, on the season. So Antoine Winfield Jr. is the ultimate wild card for this game against the Eagles defense because you never know where he's going to be. You never know what he's actually doing. And no matter what his assignment is, he's doing it better than any other safety in the National Football League. So he's he's kind of what is going to drive this Buccaneers defense as he's done all year. But outside of that, I I did touch briefly on the impact of Yaya Diaby. You know, this is a third round pick out of Louisville who has taken over the starting edge rusher role opposite of Shaq Barrett over former first round pick Joe Tryon Shoyinka, who has had his contributions, but I don't think he's quite what the Bucs thought that they were getting. Instead, they got that guy out of Yaya Diaby, and he's just been absolutely unbelievable he's so fast off the edge his anticipation of the snap count for a rookie is unlike anything i have seen out of a buccaneers player in ever uh, honestly i have been following this team since 1995 i've never seen a rookie anticipate things the way yaya diaby has mm-hmm. so 
You combine that, of course, with the big guys up front, Vita Vea, Kalijah Kansi, who when they're on, they're on. When they're off, that's when you have guys like DeAndre Swift and Chuba Hubbard uh, breaking through and, and rushing for over 100 yards. And something Lane Johnson said this week, they're asking him basically, how do you get back on track? And he basically said, through me. Like we're and which which is kind of an indication like we're, they need they want they kind of recognize that they want to get back to being that run first team that was so successful at the end of 2021 and was so successful at times during 2022 because they they kind of know they can build the passing game off of the running game but the off the Eagles offensive line still littered with with Hall of Fame talent and Pro Bowl players playing playing very well they haven't been as sharp this year. And this is a game, this is a time of year where they really need to kind of take the onus on themselves and for them to, for the Eagles to reestablish their identities as bullies in the trenches. And we'll see if they're able to kind of do that against two different lines here, the Bucks' offensive and defensive lines that really, on paper, the Eagles should have an advantage there. So um, as you, uh, I'm going to ask you for a prediction on this game. Um, I will also ask you, like, is there, of all the opponents that the Buccaneers could have faced here in this wildcard round, is this the best matchup for the Buccaneers? Like you're you're clearly taking on an Eagles team that f- six weeks ago you probably wouldn't have wanted any part of, but as they're playing football right now, I, I can't imagine there is a, a team in the NFC playoff field that would be a better matchup for the Bucs. I think out of the, the possible combinations uh, that the Bucs could have faced, the Eagles are absolutely the better matchup. They, the Bucs do not match up well offensively or defensively against the Dallas Cowboys, and a lot of Bucs fans were rooting for the Cowboys to win or rooting for the Giants to win in order to to get that matchup against Philadelphia. And, and if they had played Dallas, it probably would have looked similar to what last year's first round looked like, and it was just absolute dominance by Dallas all game long. Um so, yeah, you, you take a look at, at kind of the way the Eagles have been struggling, allowing, I think it's over 30 points a game over the last six weeks, and and kind of how the offense has been hot and cold. This is ultimately the matchup that they were all rooting for because it's the best matchup for the Bucks. Um yeah, and you know, it, it kind of continues to renew that that postseason rivalry, right? You yeah. the the Bucks won back in 1979. Then they lose two straight, and it leads to Dungey getting fired. And then you have 2002 and Rondé Barber, and and then um, don't say that name, James. Why do you, why do you come on my podcast and say that name? I just don't no need to say I'm, that name. I was there that day. I was in Veterans Stadium for that game, watching Rondé Barber run that thing back. That was the worst game I've ever been to in my life of anything. I am contractually obligated to mention <laughs> Rondé Barber's name. Anytime I, I speak uh, on an Eagles show. So, uh, noted I, for I, future I, reference, James. Noted. I apologize for nothing. <laughs> um, no, I actually remember my, my pastor growing up was a diehard Eagles fan. And as Rondé scored, he actually called and congratulated me and my dad mm. uh, on that win because he, you know, he's a great guy. But, um, but yeah, then you know we we know how that one ended, and then 2021, of course, you have you have a situation where the Bucks were again Super Bowl favorites mm-hmm. or one of the Super Bowl favorites. The Eagles were just kind of happy to be there and and excited about the direction their team was heading, and then all of a sudden they're they're in the Super Bowl the next year. They're de- the the defending NFC champions, and and when you take a look at the NFC playoff landscape, um. You know, the Bucks' best odds to move on to the divisional round is probably this matchup. And then I think a lot of Bucks fans are, are also hoping for a Rams win and a Packers win because that'll send the Packers to San Francisco and allow the Bucks to host uh, the Rams in the divisional round, who the Bucks have never beaten in the postseason. But, um, <laughs> yeah, if, this game will decide if, if these teams are 500 against each other in the postseason right. or if the Bucks are going to win three straight and, uh, and move to four and two. Uh, look, coming into this week, I I wasn't really sure how to feel about this game, and I even told you before we started before we started recording that I I did a show with the Locked On Eagles guys, and I had the Eagles winning this one twenty one to twenty. It was it was in my notes, it was in my you know my mm-hmm. prediction segment, and they talked me out of it essentially, <laughs> and so I I think. Chase McLaughlin, my beloved fighting Illini, um, which also, quick side note, my heart was broken 
for Sidney Brown. I absolutely yeah. love that guy. I am a lifelong University of Illinois fan, which during football season can be tough. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I wish him a speedy recovery, and I want to see nothing but, uh, you know, Pro Bowl-level play out of him, even if he is in Philadelphia, uh, just because he is he is such a great dude and, and such a good football player. But, um, yeah, I think this one will come down to the leg of Chase McLaughlin, and uh, the Bucks are going to take it 23-21. to 21. I'm not going to talk you out of that. Um, I, 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 I think that's in general, the direction I'm leaning as well. Um, I'm going to give my prediction at the end of the podcast, but, uh, I've, I, I, I am not picking the, the Eagles to, to win this game. And I've, I said to you before we started, I've picked the Eagles to win every single week at the beginning of the season, they were winning every week. So it made a lot of sense. And then during this, during this slide, I kept thinking, okay, this is the week they, this is the week they turn it around. Oh, this is the week they, they got to play better. Okay. They've played three bad games in a row. Now they get three easy opponents. They can't possibly lose to these folks. And here we are in the wild card round. So I will, I will not talk you out of picking the Buccaneers. I certainly think the line remains interesting. The Eagles three point favorites at last look, um, mm-hmm. That could still move going to, to Monday, but if it hasn't moved a whole lot yet, it probably won't. So it's a very – that alone gives me some hope that the Eagles might come in here and, and surprise people that they're a road favorite uh, given how they've played of late. But uh, very, very interesting matchup here. And, of course, for the Eagles as and our fans – Unbelievably, it could have ramifications on the future of the franchise with 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 regard to the head coach and certainly the assistant coaches and all that. So a lot to play for here on Monday night as the Eagles and Buccaneers renew uh, their wild card rivalry. And like uh, James said, we'll see whether or not the Eagles can uh, can even up this uh, this playoff series between these two teams. Folks, head on over to Bucks Nation to get a better eye on the enemy. You can see everything that's going on with the Buccaneers through our SB Nation site, of which James Yarcho is the deputy editor. And want to also encourage you to listen to Locked on Bucks if you'd like to keep an eye on the enemy with your ears uh, through podcast forms. Hey, James, thanks for coming on Eye on the Enemy. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it as well. All right. Well, you heard James deliver his prediction. I think you can kind of tell the direction I'm going in with my prediction. And really, shame on the Eagles for sucking all of the joy out of an NFL playoff game. NFL playoff games with your team should never be taken for granted. NFL playoff games can happen in so many different ways. They can happen like it was in 2021 when Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni surprised themselves and surprised the city by going on a late regular season run and making the playoffs. And then they ran into the Tom Brady buzzsaw. Jalen Hurts was not ready for what the Buccaneers were going to throw at them. Uh, neither was Nick Sirianni. Neither was the Eagles defense. They they went in there. They got some playoff experience, and then they used that playoff experience in 2021 to help them go on that run in 2022. Now here the Eagles are in 2023, facing more adversity than they have under Nick Sirianni. There are calls loud and clear from the rooftops, from the mountaintops, for the Eagles to make a change, certainly on the defensive side of the ball. Offensively, Brian Johnson. His job status, very, very much up in the air, although I think he's a little bit more secure than on the defensive side of the ball. Nick Sirianni's job security, very much up in the air. Absolutely, there is a hot seat, and Nick Sirianni is sitting on it. How the Eagles play on Monday night could have a, have a big impact on Nick Sirianni's future with the Eagles in, in 2024 and beyond. Seems crazy that we're here. And I I think that's one of the things that makes this all so hard to comprehend is that when this team was 10 and one, they were clear cut Super Bowl contenders. They had, they had won so many games over the course of the last two years. There was just no doubt in anyone's mind. Now, I called them the Patriots, the new Patriots. You heard me talk about it last week. I mean, there's just, there's the, the, the 180 that has taken place here. And the lack of these teams, of these coaches, not seeming to have any answers for any of it. And the players themselves have seen their play diminish. Offensive line, defensive line, these two areas where you're supposed to be strongest, they have not produced for reasons that make no sense to anyone. And because they've looked so bad, it's not just that they've lost some games. It's that they were outclassed 
by the Giants and the Cardinals these last couple weeks. The fact that they lost that Seahawks game against Drew Locke in the final two minutes. That they looked completely uncompetitive with the 49ers and Cowboys the second time around. The, 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 you can just, you can see it. No one in the locker room has any confidence or belief in themselves. The Eagles released a hype video. And it sounded great. It sounded like they, were, they had fight left in them. That the struggles that they're facing right now are only going to make them stronger. That's the messaging. And I get it. That's what you have to tell yourself. And, and there are some, you know, sometimes when all of the momentum is going in one direction, that it almost becomes too much, right? And there was this interesting stat from ESPN, and we, we have it linked on uh, bleedinggreennation.com, that just because the Eagles are going through this funk right now doesn't mean that they can't win this playoff game. The Philadelphia Eagles went 0-6 against the spread to finish the season. They're the first time to do that and make the playoffs since the 49ers did it in 2002. However, as ESPN notes, although the Eagles are the sixth team in the Super Bowl era to enter the playoffs on at least a six-game against the spread losing streak, each of the previous five won their first playoff game that season. The Eagles still are three-point favorites against the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers barely beat the Carolina Panthers last week, 9 to nothing. They are not as good a football team as the Eagles are. The Eagles have far more talent than the Buccaneers do. And that includes on defense. There is talent on that defense. Now, Reed Blankenship possibly not being available for this game will hurt, especially with Sidney Brown out for the season with his torn ACL. Kevin Byard's got a lot of work to do. They might move Avante Maddox to safety a bunch and have Eli Ricks back on the field in the slot or have some kind of combination there. But if, if they don't have Sidney Brown or Reed Blankenship, it's going to be a tough day. Cornerbacks like Darius Slay, who likes to poke fun at the fans this week, man, read the room. Read the room. You know, you missed the last four weeks. You weren't here for these last four weeks, and you're going to come in and joke around at the fans' expense? Listen, I mean, you do you, but read the room, man. It ain't, this, this, ain't, this ain't the environment for that. This team needs to just go out on Monday night with nothing to lose. I really hope that they're going to come out and things are going to be simplified, that they're, that they're just going to say, listen, let's just, let's just see what happens. Let's, just, let's get in the trenches and let's, and let's beat them up. And that certainly is possible. It's possible that these dominant lines with all of this talent where the Eagles have built their reputation over the last couple of years, that they will come in and that they will do what they did in week three, and that is dominate this Tampa offense and defense. That is in the cards. And according to Vegas, that's the more likely scenario. But like I said, I, I, I don't have any confidence in this team. The team doesn't have any confidence in themselves. Why would I, as a fan, have confidence in Nick Sirianni and Brian Johnson and Matt Patricia and Sean Desai and all of the assistant coaches who are, who are doing all of the little things wrong, all of the details, the small things, the things that this team used to obsess getting right, they're doing them all wrong now, all of a sudden. Why? And that is the thing we are never going to be able to wrap our heads around. Why was this the most miserable team in the NFL at 10-1? and 1? Why have things fallen apart as quickly as they have? Why did they feel the need to fire Sean Desai? And I'll say this about Sean Desai. People forget the defense was not good under Sean Desai. Okay? Again, like I mentioned to James, they were last in, in third down defense. They were third to last or second to last in red zone defense. They were getting killed. They had good moments, though. And we look back on it now, comparing, comparing it to what we've seen these last few weeks, and we say, oh my gosh, that defense wasn't that bad at all. It was bad. It was bad. And, and removing Sean Desai, I don't think was necessarily the wrong choice, but the timing of it didn't work. And certainly the guy they chose to replace him with was the wrong choice. So now you have this referendum on Nick Sirianni linked to this football game. And maybe for Jeffrey Lurie, maybe it won't just be about this one football game. But this is a prime time, everybody's watching matchup. The eyes of the world 
the football world are going to be on this game because it's the last game of the weekend on Monday Night Football. And if this team goes out and gets their doors blown off, if they go out and get embarrassed, if they get if they get uh, boat raced like the Cardinals did to them offensively, like the Giants did to them last week, like the 49ers and the Cowboys did to them by this Tampa team, this Tampa team, which is not very good, if they go into Tampa and get boat raced and embarrassed, all bets are off because at that point, and, I, and I'm not the only one to make this point, but Nick Sirianni has already demoted himself. In his rookie season, he demoted himself. He took away his play calling duties. Now, that was the right thing to do because Shane Steichen's a master at it. But he hasn't picked it back up. Instead, he's let Brian Johnson do it. And Brian Johnson, by the way, has gotten two head coaching job requests. So clearly the league doesn't see Brian Johnson as a major problem here. And if you want to say it's Rooney Rule stuff, maybe, that's, maybe you could say that. I'm not going to assume that because I don't think that's fair to Brian Johnson. And this is Nick Sirianni's offense, his scheme, his everything. Brian Johnson just calls the plays. So if, if Nick Sirianni, who has demoted himself back in his rookie season, is now, he's not in charge of play calling, but he's in charge of the details. He's in charge of the vibes. He's in charge of what the assistant coaches are doing. And if all of these things are getting missed and going wrong, and the players don't have any confidence in what the coaching staff is telling them to do, and you have Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman coming in and saying, okay, we need to fire everybody. We need to fire Brian Johnson. We need to fire your assistants. We need, we need to get all these different guys in here. We need to get some different voices in here. And, and Nick Siri, what is what then is Nick Siri? Do we expect Nick Sirianni to be a better head coach if everything underneath him is different? If that's the case, what is what is Nick Sirianni's role? What is his job? Why you could get anybody to do that? If you've if if Nick Sirianni's stamp on this team goes away, but he remains the head coach, I, I don't know what we're doing. I don't know what we're looking at here. Which is why I almost think that if Nick Sirianni stays, Brian Johnson kind of has to stay. It doesn't make sense to remove Brian Johnson and keep Nick Sirianni. You, if you're going to keep Nick Sirianni, if you've decided that's what you're going to do, come hell or high water, whatever happens on Monday night, then you have to keep Brian Johnson. Because if you take Brian Johnson away and these other offensive, like the, the, the offensive game coordinator and, the, and everything else, you take that all away, unless Nick Sirianni is going to reclaim the play calling duties, which doesn't seem to be in the cards, I don't, I don't, then I don't understand what his role here is. And then why wouldn't you just bring somebody new in that who will bring in their own coaching staff and, and change things up? And, and maybe, you know, th this Eagles offense is very vanilla. It's very simple. It's very high school. You're relying on your skill position players. There was something that came out on, on Friday uh, that graphed the, the Eagles um, uh, completion percentage over expectancy and actual completion percentage. Basically what that means is it's a graph that shows who is making and completing the most difficult throws in the NFL. Jalen Hurts is far and away attempting more difficult, low percentage throws than anyone else in football, and yet he's completing more of them than anyone else in football. That's not sustainable. You need more layups in this offense and, and against this blitz that... Uh, that, uh, that that Todd Bowles is going to throw against this Eagles team, they have not shown an ability to handle it over the last couple of months, specifically. They've, they've, they haven't handled it well at all with Jalen Hurts, and some of this is on Jalen, too. Hey, Jalen has been playing with these guys for two seasons now. He's got to know where the blitz is coming from. He's got to alert it to his players. This is a very common thing that quarterbacks do. They should even have kind of a symbiotic relationship now. Like Dallas can see, Dallas Goddard can see that the safety is going to rush him. And he can look to Jalen and he can pat his helmet. Or even just a look on his eyes saying, you know what's coming. And then we know to do this. They can do the same thing with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. Like there's, there are ways to do this that the Eagles are just not doing. It's like they call the play. Well, this is the play we called. 15 yards down the field. It doesn't matter what's happening. And they get and they get burned by it. Like, is that Hurts? Is that Sirianni? I don't I don't know what it is. But if you've decided that Sirianni is your guy, no matter what happens here on on, on Monday night, then you got to keep Brian Johnson in my view. And if you're going to get rid of Brian Johnson, you've got to get rid of Nick Sirianni. And so I don't know how much of what happens on Monday night is going to affect Nick Sirianni's job security. If they get blown out, it it's it, it's possible he goes. 
and if he and if they if they don't fire Brian Johnson and they bring in a whole new staff that's going to do things differently and bring all of these new schemes in that Nick Sirianni's not comfortable with, there's no way it's going to work. It's going to be Doug Peterson and Rich Scangarella all over again. So that's so so the X's and O's of what's going to happen here on Monday night are are huge. Can the Eagles stop the blitz? Can they reestablish a running game? Can they get pressure on Baker Mayfield? That's the story of this game. And and frankly, will Jalen Hurts be healthy enough to throw the football? Will A.J. Brown play? Those are the two big unanswered questions as we record here on, on Monday morning. On Friday morning, pardon me. We just don't know the status of those guys. If it's Marks Mariota and Zacchaeus or Quez Watkins out there alongside Devontae Smith, forget about it. Forget about it. Unless they're just going to plan to run Marcus Mariota 20 times and, and not throw the football. So if Jalen Hurts is not at 100%, if he's not healthy, that's a big factor of what goes in here. And maybe that maybe that's a stay of execution for Nick Sirianni and Brian Johnson. They can argue, I didn't have my quarterback. I didn't have my best wide receiver. We didn't have these two guys that we rely on more than any team in the league relies on their quarterback and number one wide receiver. So given the uncertainty over Jalen Hurts's health and A.J. Brown's health, given what we've seen over these last few weeks, given the Eagles' inability to stop the blitz, given their inability to pressure the quarterback, given their reluctance to run the ball, I can't in good conscience pick the Eagles to win this game. I just can't. I've picked them to win every game this year. They broke me. Guys, they finally broke me. So I'm going to take the Buccaneers to end the Eagles season way sooner than any of us thought and put the Eagles the 2023 season and maybe most of this coaching staff, if not all of it, out of their misery. I think the Buccaneers win this game, let's say 24, let's say 24 to 20, 24 to 20, Buccaneers win. That's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. I wish I had better news for you folks, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope we are back next week previewing a divisional round matchup against some team uh, that the Eagles will almost certainly get their doors blown off by, but maybe not. Maybe the Eagles come out and they shock us all, and they give us a little bit more confidence heading into a divisional round game next week. Either way, we will be back to talk about what happened here in the wildcard round and look ahead at what's going on around the rest of the NFL uh, with in terms of uh, the divisional round of the playoffs, and we'll uh, obviously deal with the fallout uh, from whatever happens this Monday night against the Buccaneers. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on Eye on the Enemy. B-G-N.